Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will obey the Lord. Dr. Umbo reminded us last night we have the possibility of knowing the Lord. So as for me and my house, yeah, it's just going to be just multi them before we're, before we're through. We'll just keep filling in the blanks. It's, it's our privilege to have Dr. Dan Powers as the preacher of the evening. Uh, in order to help us uh, prepare for the message, I need to, we, we need to learn a song. Because I think it's a new old song. It's an old song, but it'll be new to about maybe three-fourths of us. So if I can have a chord. So the song goes like this. From glory to glory, he's changing me. Changing me, changing me, his likeness and image to perfect in me. The light of God shone to the world. Okay, so now how many people were singing? And how many people weren't? Uh-huh, okay, that's about, okay, so let's try that one more time. Uh, play, give me some, something more than just the melody, okay? One more time. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Acts. And I'd like to read from the first chapter, verses 4 through 9. And I know we were just standing and we sat down, but I like us to always stand when we read from the Scripture. So if you'd stand with me, I'd like to read Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I'd ask, Father, that this evening as we look at these verses, and as we look through Acts, that you'd allow your Holy Spirit to anoint us once again, and to reveal to us which you would have us to, to follow and to obey. Lord, would you bless us as we look at your word. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that I really appreciate about the writers of the Bible is that all through the Bible, they are very candid and honest in their portrayal of the heroes of the faith. Many times when we think about the main characters of the Bible, we tend to elevate and glorify them to a point where they are actually larger than life. In our minds then, these men and women never seem to doubt, they never seem to make a mistake, they never hesitate, and they always understand immediately and perfectly what God's plan and will for their life is. But this is not the way the, way the Bible actually reads. Sure, these are heroes of the faith. Yes, it is true that God uses them in mighty and powerful ways. But when we look more carefully at the biblical record, 
we find that they are often confused, they often make mistakes, they often misunderstand, and they often make surprising blunders. I don't know about you, but I'm actually very thankful for the honesty of the biblical writers. It gives me the hope and even sometimes the confidence that God can also use you and me in meaningful ways within his kingdom despite the fact that we sometimes make mistakes and that we sometimes misunderstand at times what he wants us to do. This is why I love the book of Acts so much. The author Luke tells it to us just the way it is. This is what we find happening here in the first chapter of Acts. Luke tells us that the resurrected Jesus has spent 40 days appearing to his disciples and teaching them about the kingdom of God. Jesus impresses it upon his followers that they should go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that God has promised them. And Jesus tells them that they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to admit that Luke does not tell us exactly what Jesus was teaching the disciples during these 40 days of appearances. And I also have to admit that we have the keen advantage of hindsight when we read this account. That is to say, we know how the whole story turns out. But doesn't their question in verse 6 seem rather irrelevant? I mean, Jesus had to be talking to them about his victory over sin and over death. He had to be explaining to them about this unconquerable kingdom of love, this kingdom of grace and mercy and forgiveness. He must have explained to them about his true messiahship, his true purpose on earth. And yet the only thing that they can think about is a political kingdom for Israel. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? While Jesus is trying to guide their, their focus towards the eternal, all they could think about was the temporal. This was not one of the finer moments for the disciples. I'm reminded of the time when I was traveling in Germany and my train had a 30-minute stopover in Cologne, Germany. Now Cologne has one of the biggest and most beautiful cathedrals in all the world. The cathedral has these twin spires that soar 510 feet up into the air. It's the second largest Gothic structure in the world. Well, I just had to see this cathedral. And even if my train just had a couple minutes before it departed again, I was determined to see it. And so when my, when my train stopped in Cologne, I, I quickly ran outside and I started looking around for this cathedral. Where is it? Where's this cathedral? I could see it nowhere. And so finally I asked a person who was walking down the street and I said, where do I need to go to see the cathedral? And the man just shook his head and pointed up. And it was right there. I was looking all around and all I had to do was actually look up to see the thing. Well, I'm sure that Jesus was shaking his head when the disciples asked their question in verse 6. But look at what Jesus says. First he says, don't worry about that right now. Don't worry about that. God has it covered. Don't worry about it. Then he says, let me tell you what's going to happen. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think that it's striking to note that after the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, the disciples never asked this question again. Everything had changed when the Holy Spirit came upon them. You know, when we look at the book of Acts, actually this entire book is a story of change. Luke gives us a chronicle of the change that transpired in the lives of the followers of Jesus. 
Jesus prophesied this change in Acts 1.8 that we just read. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then also in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Acts is a fulfillment of that prophecy of Acts 1.8. The fulfillment of that commission. The fulfillment of this promise of Jesus through the changed lives of the disciples. Well, I believe that we need to experience the same kinds of changes in our lives today. In order to reach our world. In order to fulfill our calling. In order to complete the mission that God has called us to fulfill. Our lives need to be changed. We need to allow a change to happen in our lives. To let the change happen. And so here's what I want us to do this evening. I want us to trace some of the changes that Luke outlines in the book of Acts. I want us to see the change that the resurrected Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit created in the lives of the earliest believers. But we need to realize that as we read about these changes that Luke is not just telling us so we can hear these things and be awed by them, but he is urging us to go through the same types of changes in our own life. Luke doesn't want us only to read about the transformed and changed lives of the disciples. He wants us to participate in that change, to be part of that change. He wants us to let the same change happen in our lives today. Now I know that change is difficult for most of us. And so as we look at the lives, at the change in the lives of the early believers, I want us to participate spiritually and even physically in these changes tonight. We have to realize that when God sponsors change in our lives, He does not call us only to a spiritual or inward change. He, most, he almost always calls us to a physical change as well. And so to make this truth more apparent for us this evening, we're going to do some moving around. You're ready for it already, aren't you? Now I know that you're probably sitting comfortably right where you are, which means you've selected a chair which is close enough or far enough away from people around you. But let me also share a very important spiritual truth with you. In order for God to make you into the person He wants you to be, in order for God to accomplish His purposes in and through you, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. Well, I'm going to help you start that process here tonight. Aren't you thankful? You see, the book of Acts is a story of change. And we need to allow the same change to happen in our lives. And so here's what we're going to do. Whenever I say the phrase, let the change happen, I want you to stand up and change chairs. I want you to change seats. Now, I don't mean that I want you just to scoot over one chair. <laughs> See, I know you folks better than that, don't I? <laughs> I would prefer you to change sections. I mean, really change. If we want to change to happen in our lives, we need to take not only one step, but sometimes many steps. I didn't say many steps, I said many steps, right? Um, and so I'd prefer you to change drastically, you know, this type of crossing over type of thing. You see, we need to break out of the ordinary. We need to step out of our comfort zone. And so when I say the phrase, we're going to start to allow that change to happen physically. Physically and spiritually. And the question is, do we want to obey God? 
Do you want God to use you in his kingdom? Do you want to be all that God has called you to be? Well, here's the first step in that glorious and adventurous journey. Are you ready? Stand up and let the change happen. That went pretty well, right? <laughs> the, first, the first significant change the disciples experienced was perhaps the most important change of all. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that the Father had promised, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, we read that when the day of Pentecost came, the believers were all together in one place. For ten days they had waited. For ten days they had prayed. For ten days they had prepared their hearts and their minds. For ten days they had tried to keep themselves busy, choosing a replacement for Judas, doing whatever they could think of doing. For ten days. Sometimes I think that the hardest part of change is waiting for it to happen. Can we wait on God? Can we move at His pace? Come on, God, what are you waiting for? Let's go! How many times have I said that? When the day of Pentecost finally came, they had been waiting for ten days. I have a strong suspicion that this was a long ten days for the disciples. You know, I hate waiting. I hate waiting. I hate waiting through the night before the day my vacation begins. I hate waiting the night before a big test. I hate waiting for the results of my test to get back. <laughs> I even hate waiting at a stoplight. But the disciples waited. You know, we can't follow the Lord until we wait for Him to get in front of us, can we? And so they waited. Do we trust God enough to wait on Him? This might have been the hardest part for the disciples, I don't know. But they waited. And the Holy Spirit came. Don't you love the way that Luke tells this story? On the day of Pentecost, there was a sudden sound like the blowing of a violent wind. The sound filled the entire house. There were tongues of fire that separated and it rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to praise God in languages they had never spoken before. Just think about it. Languages they had never spoken before. Languages like... English. Christ has risen. Jesus Christ is Lord. Glory be to God. Swedish. Christus abstanden. Jesus Christus, the Herre. Ära vare Gud. Spanish. Cristo ha resucitado. Jesus Cristo es el Señor. Gloria a Dios. Albanian. Jesus ashtra kuzur. Jesus ashtra zoti. Lavi verenis. Navajo. Dutch. Hebrew. Can you imagine it? They were speaking in languages they had never spoken before. Christ is risen. 
Jesus is Lord. Glory to God. And they ran out into the streets preaching that good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. What a change the Holy Spirit made in their lives. Now we can't forget that these were the same disciples who just a few weeks earlier had hidden in fear behind closed doors because of Jesus' death. We can't forget that these were the same disciples who had scattered and run away when Jesus was arrested. We can't forget that these were the same disciples who denied and betrayed Jesus when it was even suggested that they knew Him. But the Holy Spirit changed all of that. He cleansed their hearts. He filled their lives. He chased away their fear. He filled them with a boldness to tell the world about the risen Christ. The same Holy Spirit wants to fill our lives as well. The same Holy Spirit wants to take away our fear. The same Holy Spirit wants to cleanse your hearts. The same Holy Spirit wants to fill each of us with a boldness to witness for Christ. Are you ready for His presence? Are you ready for His power? Are you ready for the change? Let the change happen. Just like Jesus had promised, just like Jesus had promised, the disciples and the other believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God was proclaimed throughout Jerusalem. We can read about this ministry in Jerusalem in Acts chapters 3 through 5. Let me just share one of these stories with you. One day Peter and John were going to the temple for the time of prayer. In Acts chapter 3, Luke tells us that they met a crippled beggar alongside the road who asked them for money. Peter said, Look at us, man. I don't have any silver or gold, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk! And the man began to walk. When the crowd saw this, then they gathered around to see this incredible thing. And Peter boldly preached to them again this, the, the word of salvation in Christ. And Peter called out, Repent and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Don't you long for times of refreshing? Don't you yearn for those times when the peace of Christ and the fresh wind of His Spirit Fill your heart and your mind from above? I know that I do. Peter experienced it and he preached it. But look at what happens next. Peter and John are arrested and thrown into prison. The chief priests and members of the Sanhedrin must have thought to themselves, well this will shut them up. When we arrested their leader Jesus, they all ran away and hid. There's nothing like a night in a dirty, rotten prison cell to give someone a reality check. But the next day, Peter and John were as bold as ever. Without the slightest hesitation, they said to the Sanhedrin, and I just love this phrase, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. What about you? What about us? Are you speaking about what you have seen and heard? 
I'm amazed that we, the way that we allow ourselves to be convinced that we need to be specially trained in order to be witnesses. When you witness a car accident, the police don't ask you to take a course in eyewitness reporting before you can tell them what happened. When you have fallen in love with that special person in your life, believe me, you don't need to take a seminar in order to tell your friends and family about your joy. So why do we think that we need to take classes and seminars and undergo special training to tell about what Christ has done in our life? I'm afraid that we've been fed a lie by Satan, our enemy. The only qualification that an eyewitness needs is a personal experience. Ah, oh, maybe this is the problem. Maybe this is the problem. Have you experienced the infilling power and presence of the Holy Spirit? Have you truly repented of your sins and asked Christ to fill your life? Maybe we're not witnessing to the life-changing power and presence of Christ and His forgiveness because we've not experienced it. Or maybe it's so long ago that we've forgotten it. Christ wants to bring us forgiveness and new life today and every day. The Holy Spirit wants to cleanse us and fill us with His power and presence today and every day. Peter and John's lives had been radically changed and they couldn't help themselves. They had to share with other people what they had heard, what they had seen. What a change it made in their lives. Well, what about us then? What about you? Are you ready for Christ's forgiveness? Are you ready for the Spirit's infilling? Are you ready to have the Spirit fill you so completely that you can't even help yourself from telling others? Well, come on. Let the change happen. to change? Well, our time is quickly passing, so we have to hurry on. I need to tell you about St Stephen and Philip in Acts chapters 6 through 8. The church was growing rapidly now. Luke tells us that more than 5,000 men had become believers. There must have been just as many and probably more women than there were men. Because women always seem to be more sensitive and more responsive to the Spirit than men. What would the church ever do without the faithful service and leadership of women? I hope I'll never have to find out. The church was growing so rapidly though that the disciples could not keep up with all the responsibilities of caring for the daily needs of the people. And so in Acts chapter 6, Luke tells us that seven men were chosen to overlook the daily distribution of food. Each of these men were selected because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. The task of these men was to serve tables. They were specially selected and appointed to make sure that all the different ethnic groups in Jerusalem would not be neglected of having enough food. Now, I've often heard sermons, I've sat through Bible lessons given on this passage, 
And in each of these things, it seems like the lesson that's brought out is that this is teaching us the importance of delegating responsibility. The disciples couldn't do all the work themselves, and so they needed to delegate the daily tasks of the ministry to other people so that they, the apostles, the pastors of the early churches, as it were, that they could devote themselves to the ministry of the Word. Now please don't misunderstand me here. I believe that pastors and leaders really do need to delegate tasks and responsibilities to other people in the church. But I don't think that this is the main lesson that Luke is trying to teach us here. I think that there is a much more important and valuable lesson to be learned. I just love to read about Stephen and Philip in these chapters of Acts. But do you know what I find funny about these chapters? Stephen and Philip and the other five deacons are selected to wait tables. But we never actually see them wait on tables in Acts. We never see it. Instead, Luke tells us about Stephen. Stephen, whom Luke describes as full of God's spirit and God's grace and power, Stephen does great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. He preaches and teaches to everyone who will listen to him about Jesus of Nazareth. When arrested and confronted by the Jewish authorities, Stephen preaches the longest and most compelling sermon in all of the books of, book of Acts. He's chosen to wait tables, but he preaches boldly about salvation through Jesus Christ, and he's murdered because of it. We find the same kind of situation with Philip in chapter 8. We have to remember that Philip was selected to wait on tables and to distribute food. But Luke never tells us even one story about Philip doing this. Instead, Luke tells us about Philip preaching about Christ in Samaria. Crowds gather around Philip. Miracles are performed. People are healed. Demons are cast out. And many people repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because of Philip's preaching. Isn't this strange? These seven men are selected to wait on tables so that the apostles can devote themselves more to preaching the Word of God. But then Luke immediately gives us three full chapters of stories in which Philip and Stephen are doing everything except waiting on tables. So many times we look at these chapters, we look at these stories as if it is telling us that pastors should not do the things that others can do. But I think that Luke is trying to teach us a different lesson. I think that Luke is trying to show us that we need to realize that other believers can do the things that most people think that only pastors can do. Did you hear that? I think that Luke is showing us that we need to realize that other believers can do the things that most people think that only pastors can do. When Stephen and Philip were given their assignment to wait tables, it finally opened their eyes to the reality that they could be prophetic preachers and sharers of the Word of Christ. And they did it. What a change it made in their lives. What a change this made in the church. What a change this made in the world. We need to realize that it is not only the professional pastor who is able to serve and to minister and evangelize and to preach to other people about Christ. It is the task of every believer. It's your task. It's my task. It's the task of every one of us. We cannot wait for our pastor to share the gospel to our friends and neighbors. We cannot stand back and wait for our pastors and evangelists to share the message of salvation to people at our work. 
This is a task that each one of us can and must perform. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to change our thinking in this. It is our privilege to share the gospel. It is our responsibility to share the gospel. And we have to do it. For too long we have thought that this is only the pastor's job. That it's only his job or her job to reach people for Christ. But we have to allow the Holy Spirit to change this idea. It's your job to share the gospel. It's my job to share the gospel. It's not the pastor's job alone. And we need to change our thinking in this. God has called each one of us to share the gospel. Are you ready for this change in thinking? Let the change happen. I wish we could spend more time to look at more of the lessons and stories of change in the book of Acts, but we just don't have the time. And so I want to look at only one more passage in this wonderful book of change. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, one of the things that I really like about Luke is that he tells us the true story. He doesn't gloss over the mistakes and shortcomings of the early heroes of the faith, but he gives us a true picture of the early believers, warts and all. You remember that Jesus commissioned his followers in Acts chapter 1-8 to take the gospel all around the world. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that afterwards they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Unfortunately, the disciples didn't do such a good job of this. I mean, look at what happens. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was, pat was poured out upon the believers just like Jesus said that he would. And the believers immediately became witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem. All right. So far, so good, right? And so then we move to chapter 3. There we find Peter and John healing the crippled man and witnessing in Jerusalem. Well, okay. That's still all right, I guess. Then we move to chapter 4. And there we find Peter and John thrown into prison and testifying once again before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Chapter 5 comes. And the believers are still in Jerusalem. Chapter 6 comes, and they are still in Jerusalem. Chapter 7 comes, and Stephen is preaching an incredible sermon. But they're still in Jerusalem. What happened to Judea and Samaria? It just wasn't happening. Jerusalem was the place to be. Jerusalem was the megachurch of the first century. It was the place where all the excitement was taking place. And apparently the disciples and other Christian believers were completely satisfied to stay right there. God, we can't go to Judea and Samaria. We can't go. Our work in Jerusalem is too important for us to leave now. I suppose we could send some of our other members to those other places, but we'd really miss them here in Jerusalem. I mean, who would teach Sunday school? Who would lead our teens? Who would serve the tables if we would send some of our members to those other places? We just can't afford to spare them, Lord. Maybe some other time, God, but not now. We just have too much work to do right here in Jerusalem. Christ had commissioned them to take the gospel everywhere, but they didn't go. 
six chapters later and we still find the believers huddled together in Jerusalem. But then chapter 8 comes. We've already talked about the great sermon that Stephen, Stephen preached in chapter 7. When he was finished, the Jewish leaders were so angry, they dragged him outside the city and they stoned him to death. Then Luke writes in chapter 8 verse 1, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Then Luke writes in verse 4, And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I'm not sure what this sounds like to you, but to me it sounds like God had to use a death and a time of great persecution in order to get his followers to do his will. It wasn't until a great persecution broke out that the believers finally obeyed the command that Jesus gave them in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. What does God have to do to cause us to be the believers that he has called us to be? That's a question that scares me sometimes. What does God have to do to cause you to be the person the witness that he has commissioned you to be. We can't just sit at home in Jerusalem. We can't just ignore the call and commission of God in our lives. We need to allow our lives to be changed. We need to allow our thinking to be changed. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives completely. Not just when it is comfortable, not just when it is convenient for us. What does God have to do to create the change that is necessary in your life? Does it take a death? Does it take a persecution? Whatever it is, however it is, wherever it is, let the change happen. Heavenly Father, I'm convinced that you want to change us. And so many times, Father, I think we come to you and we ask you to tweak something in our life or to nudge something in our life or to maybe adjust something in our lives. But what really needs to happen is a complete and radical change. Father, you have called us to be your witnesses. You have planned for us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. You have people that you want us to speak to. You have places where you want us to go. You have a task for us to perform. And too many times we just don't want to change. Father, I pray that you would allow your spirit to reign within our lives. And Father, I would pray that you would do whatever it takes. That you would do whatever it takes to help us to change so that your will can be done, so that your kingdom can be built, so that we can become the people, the men and the women that you have called us to be, that you have planned for us to be. Father, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. But I don't find those promises anywhere in your word either. Father, change us. 
change us. So that our minds aren't on just earthly things anymore, but it's upon heavenly things. And then we can experience the glory to glory to glory of that change in our lives. Lord, as we go from this place, would you give us a determination through your spirit, a reminder, a wake-up call for the change that you want to have happen in us and through us as we reach out to a world that needs to hear so badly. Father, use us. It might sometimes be hard. It might sometimes be painful. But it's what you've called us to do. It's who you've called us to be. And so as we leave this place, Father, it is my prayer that for each one of us, we will let the change happen. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.